Hey, welcome. We are glad you guys are here. Are you guys all good? Good? All of our children, kids, young people, if you want to go and have an awesome time back there, you can run, go, whatever, have a great time. Everybody else, welcome. So glad that you guys are here. Welcome to Air Conditioning. We are grateful for that. Uh, for everybody attending online tonight, we are glad that you're here. Uh, even though you're not here, here, but we are glad that you're tuning in with us. Hey, just a few things. Uh, first of all, for everybody that was able to come out to Fire Pit Friday, on Friday, that was just a great time. Thank you for coming. That was just a good opportunity for us to just hang out and uh, cook s'mores. And that's, if that's the only things you do, that, that was still good. So, um, but a couple more things that are coming up. Uh, first of all, this week on Tuesday, because it's going to be like 170 degrees, we are going to go to the lake. And so if you want to join us at Boyd Lake, we'll be over at the beach area. We'll have uh, paddle boards and kayaks. And I guess we're renting a big floating mat. I don't know much more than that, but it's a big floating mat, I guess, so that people can... Hang out on that. It's going to start at 2 o'clock, but come after work. Maybe we'll still be out there. I don't know. Um, you can text me or, yeah, we'll see how that goes. A um, couple other things. On June 22nd, which is the week from Tuesday, uh, this is the first time ever that I've ever seen a church event like this, so it's super cool. It's called Snakes with Saxon. So Saxon is right over there. Um, with long red hair, and uh, he is a big snake guy, and so he loves snakes, so he's going to bring out some of his more friendly snakes and uh, let uh, people learn about them, and unfortunately, I won't be there, but that'll be great. So uh, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock a.m., all the details are on the website. It's going to be over at Andrew and Megan's house. Um, so yeah, God's little creatures, there you go. And uh, on June 23rd, which is a Wednesday, we're going to start up our summer study. It is going to be kind of like a life group, except uh, basically we're just going to pick a passage of Scripture, we're going to read it, and we're just going to discuss it. And so just kind of dig into God's Word throughout the summer. We're going to do those about every other week, and so hopefully you guys can be a part of that. There will be more details um, with the summer study in the next few weeks. Let's pray and just ask God to speak to us through His Word. Father God, thank you so much. We are so grateful for you, um, that we can be able to worship you, to be able to celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. And so as we open up your word, I just pray that you'll speak to us, that we will be challenged, that uh, we'll be convicted, that when we leave here, we'll be a little bit different uh, because we've spent some time with you. And so we ask this in your amazing name, amen. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, but a lot of people, they'll have conversions uh, throughout life. They'll encounter God maybe in their teen years, uh, maybe college years, or later in life. Uh, but for me, I was just born and raised in the church. Like from conception on, uh, church was a big part of my life. In fact, I think some of the most, the best memories that I have in my life flow out of time in church, uh, from friendships to just fun times, uh, all these different things, all the way through my adult life. Uh, the good stuff all stems from my time with church. I remember when I was growing up, uh, weeks of camp that you'd go to when you were real little, and you'd go 
And I guess the first one that they always do is called day camp, where you'd go for an afternoon because they're afraid that we'd all, you know, get homesick in the middle of the night and revolt. And, uh, but they would do day camps. As you get older, they let you stay more days. And I remember so excited when I got to high school because we got to stay the whole week. That was just a great moment in life. Uh, youth groups growing up. And I don't know about you guys, if you were in youth group, I'm not sure if you had the cheesy names for your group. Uh, we had the two of the cheesiest names ever, uh, the God Squad <laughs> and Soldiers of the Light. Um, never in my time of ministry will I allow a youth person to ever name our group's God Squad or Soldiers of the Light ministry, but that was ours. Uh, but we had amazing adults that poured into us and took us on different mission trips. Uh, we'd go to Kings Island. We'd go to the lakes. We'd do retreats. We'd uh, just do a whole bunch of fun stuff. I remember ICYC, the Indiana Christian Youth Conference, and uh, where we'd visit with a thousand other people, and we would just have a good time. So even today, my deepest friendships that I have in life flow out of my time in the church, those that I grew up with in that. When I got to college, <clears throat> uh, I bounced around. Anybody else, you played the bouncing game in college in East Tennessee? Uh, we just figured out who was having potluck, and we went to that church. So uh, this church is having a potluck lunch after church, so we're going to go there because as college students, wherever there's good food, that's where you will find us. And so we just bounced around. Even when I went into the ski industry and moved out here, uh, I just got plugged in with Dillon Community Church and Mountain Ministries with Bill and Alicia Spear, uh, which had a huge impact on my life. Um, I remember learning scriptures at a very, very young age, not only in church, but at home. And so it was like this tag team factor for my parents. It's like they would high-five the youth leader, and then they would take it, and at home, we would continue to, to read scriptures and dig in. And I learned that the church isn't perfect. So if that's the first time you've ever heard that, I hate to break that to you, but it is not perfect. It is filled with imperfect people. And if you leave church, if you go to try to find another church simply because someone upsets you or someone wasn't acting Christian enough or very Christian, uh, you will always be leaving church, always, because church is not perfect, because the church is made up by the people that attend it. And Jesus says that you are beautiful, so it's beautiful and broken and sinful at the same time. And I also learned in my time at church what the inside of people's homes look like. We get invited into uh, Bible study groups, and now we call them small groups, at pool parties, New Year's Eve parties. I learned that during difficult times that the church can be there for one another, that they can love each other through those difficult moments when it hurts. But despite the hurt... I absolutely love the church. I love the church. I love this church. And a lot of it I credit to my grandparents, um, as church was a very big aspect of their lives. They never lived their lives without church being a part of that. When I was helping officiate my grandfather's funeral, I learned that he had been a member of Central City Christian Church in Joplin, Missouri for over 84 years. 
gave his life to Christ at a young age and never left that church. That's amazing. Same church. I don't care who you are. Whatever organization we're talking about, that is pretty awesome. Didn't go church shopping, didn't stray away from God's word, just stayed committed to God, the bride of Christ, there at that church. One of the great things about the book of Acts is that we get a front row seat to the very first church. We get to put it under the microscope and look at the very first church that ever existed. What did that look like, the first church? And whenever, whenever we say first church, it always makes me think, I, I'm a foodie, and so I always think about, for some reason, pizza. And they're always battling in New York, who was the first New York pizza place. And so if you go there, you'll probably hear the names like Lombardi, which is a coal fire oven that they had. And one of their pizza makers, Anthony Titano, he actually broke off and started a new one. And uh, you'll hear about John's on Bleecker Street, which I guess has some of the best pizza in New York. Patsy's was the first to sell a slice. And then, and are you ready for it? Ray's, famous Ray's, original Ray's, famous original Ray's. There's even one called Not Ray's Pizza. (laughs) So you can go online and you can look, Not Ray's Pizza, and it will pop up. It's Not Ray's Pizza. When it comes to the church, though, it's fascinating because there seems to be a lot of first churches, right? The first Baptist church, the first Presbyterian church, the first Lutheran church. I grew up in the independent Christian church, and you would see a lot of first Christian churches. In fact, there's a first Christian church in Kokomo, Indiana, where I was raised, and I would hear about that church. It's the first Christian church. Ours wasn't named first, so I guess we came in later down the road. In Johnson City, where I went to college, there's a first Christian church. In Colorado Springs, there's a first Christian church. Grand Junction, Cheyenne, Laramie, Greeley, and even right down the street here, we have first Christian church of Loveland. And what you don't hardly ever hear is the second Christian church. Maybe we should start that. We should be second Christian church. But in Jerusalem, around 33 AD... This legitimately is the first church, the very first one ever, and it started right there in Jerusalem, and for a while, it's going to stay right there for a short period of time, and Peter, who's one of the apostles, preaches one of the most gospel-filled messages, and you read about it in the first part of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. It's interesting that Peter is the first one to actually step up and start preaching, but it shouldn't be a surprise because in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus tells Peter, he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, you Peter, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And so Peter brings it. I mean, he just preaches and he, here's what happens when, when Jesus was here on the earth And here's what happens because we are sinful, broken people, and we chose to kill him rather than to embrace him. But it's okay because God meant it all for good, and he would resurrect. So he's like, here's what happened. Here's what you need to know. And when he was done, the message that God spoke through Peter, it says that it pierced the people's hearts, that they were listening to it, and it was a conviction that took over. And they're like, 
What should we do? What must we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn away from your wickedness, and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Peter just kept preaching. So he gives an invitation, a response in the middle, and then just keeps preaching. And at some point in time, people just start coming forward. And in verse 41, it tells us that about 3,000 people that day believed in what Peter said and were baptized and were added to the church. Added to the church. And that was the first day, the first birthday of the church. And even on the first day, there would be little hints of resistance or a little bit of um, little back talk towards the church, I guess as we could say it. And if you remember last week, you know what they told the apostles when they were doing all their stuff? They said, these guys must be drunk. They've been drinking too much wine. These were the naysayers, the pessimists, the mockers, and the opposition, and also the very first little root, little seedling of persecution. Now, was it persecution? No. Somebody saying, you're drunk, isn't persecution. But it's the start, it's the hint of something that would eventually grow. Because in Acts 2, they're saying these guys are drunk. In Acts 4, they'd actually be thrown into prison. In Acts chapter 8, the first person, Stephen, would be killed for sharing his faith. And by Acts 13, they are being persecuted and pushed out and scattered about, which God would use. And we would see the very first glimpse of church planting. And I am so pumped because Revive is getting ready to be a part of church planting for the very first time, planting another plant. We're going to be parents. That's going to be so cool. We get to be a part of a church plant over in Johnstown. We're going to help support that. But in the first church, as the opposition starts to grow, what happens to the church? Opposition grows, and so does God's church. And so as we learn today about what the first church looks like, we're going to ask ourselves, what should we do? What should we do as a church, as Revive? And the answer is, we need to be the church, all of us, together. It is not a spectator sport. It's, it's actually more of a team effort. Because every single one of us has gifts and talents and things that we can add to the church that's going to make it beautiful. And we start going from, and I love this, I love this when it happens to people, but when they go from basically church attender to a church member, they feel like this is a part of their life. And at Revive, we just call it, we say basically you're part of the Revive family. When you hear people say, I go to church, to start to say, I am the church, along with a bunch of other people. So as we go through this together, I want to shift our thinking a bit. Because if we collectively, all of us, make up the church, then when we start looking at what the church should really look like, instead of always focusing on church in regard to the pastor or the leadership, 
Maybe look at this in regards to how are you doing at being the church. So if you are a part of the church, if you are the church, how are you doing at it? So we're going to reflect on that. So as we go through the early church, just reflect on it. How are you doing at that? And so as I read through this, maybe just have a little self-reflection. How are you being a key piece of God's church living this out? And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There's only five verses that we're going to hone in on, but they are pretty phenomenal. Here's what it says. It says, all the believers, you guys know what the next word is? Devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 44 says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their number. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, that's pretty cool. In fact, each one of these is a sermon. Um, So we're just going to kind of do a little bit of an overview and just kind of break in here. And the first word that I want us to hone in on is the word devoted. Because when I thought about the word devoted this week, when I read that, there was two things that came to my mind. First was Olivia Newton-John, totally devoted to you. Anybody else? No, it was hopelessly devoted to you. Is it hopelessly? Hopelessly. Can we not record that? (laughs) Hopelessly devoted to you in 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 Greece. And the other thing that I always thought about uh, is sports. Because you hear about people that are devoted. They are dedicated. They are totally wackos when it comes to sports. I've been accused of this on occasion. But they're committed people, which means they are sold out. It is, they are relentless, not bandwagon fans. And if you're a bandwagon fan, knock it off. Because bandwagon fans, they shouldn't exist. But those are occasional fans. That's what a bandwagon fan is. They're the when-they're-good fans, all right? I want you to know that I am dedicated to my teams thick and thin, even when they are no good. And Sarah says, none of your teams are good. But the word devoted simply means to fully embrace or actually fully immerse yourself into it. And so when we're thinking about these things that it talks about in verse 42, that they were fully devoted to these things, they were actually immersing themselves into it. They were dedicated, sold out, relentless to these things, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so let's look at the first one that they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? What was going on in in this part of Acts? Well, the apostles' teaching 
was everything that they had witnessed. And so most of these guys had just spent the last three years with Jesus. They saw him basically call them to this life as a disciple to be a follower of him. They dropped their nets or whatever else they were doing, and they went and followed him. And basically, for a three-year stretch, it was every night camp out with Jesus, and they would see him do some of the most amazing things ever. They would see him heal people. They would see him cast out demons. They would see him perform different miracles. They would see him heal blind and have people that couldn't speak to speak, people that couldn't hear to hear, people that couldn't see, see, all these things. He would love children. And he would say, man, you need to have faith like this child. He even brought people back to life. And after three years, this revolt started to kind of grow. And they thought he was going to deliver them from Rome, and yet... He ends up being killed. And three days later, he would resurrect, which God always intended for that to happen. These three years, this is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus, who Peter, in his first sermon, said that Jesus was Lord and Messiah. And everybody would say, well, why didn't, he, why didn't they just read the Bible? Because when we go to church, people just read the Bible. Well, they didn't have a Bible. It hadn't been written yet. They had the Old Testament scrolls, but this was a new message. This was a message about Jesus who came and fulfilled the Old Testament. And so for us, we have this great advantage of having God's Word at our disposal. And so, using language from the word devoted, we need to ask ourselves, are we fully devoted, fully embracing, fully immersed into God's word? If you are the church, are you devoted to God's word? Being a fan of the apostles' teaching would be a listening to the sermon and reading the scripture on the screen on Sunday. That's what a fan would do. You know, I appreciate it, but it's going to change if you say the word devoted because being devoted to the apostles' teaching is committed to digging in on a more regular basis. And if there's one overarching illness, I think, in today's church, in today's Christianity, is that we have spiritually malnutrition when it comes to knowing God's word. There's so many people today that are not digging into his word. In a time when I think the word of God is more readily available, more, we have more access to it than ever in the history of the world. We have apps like YouVersion. We have commentaries at the flip of our finger. Bible is now in the Old Testament and New Testament, which is available in over 704 languages, according to Wycliffe. And if you don't like to read, guess what? You can hit the play button on your phone, and it will read it to you. It's almost like they're like, you know what? We, we know all the excuses. We're going to take care of it. Just push this button. It'll start playing it for you. But to be devoted means that we're going to be immersing ourselves 
into God's word, that you're going to step in and step up and say, you know what? I'm going to do this on my own. And then when you get together with DNA or life group or other people, then you get to dig in with other people. And it makes it even that much better because you know something. The second thing they were devoted to was fellowship. And I believe fellowship is one of the most overused and undervalued things in all of Scripture or in today's church. Because you hear the word fellowship all the time. It's like, we're going to have this fellowship. It's going to be a mountain biking fellowship. We're going to have a pool fellowship. We're going to have, we just, we stamp fellowship before every activity. And it's almost like we're giving it Jesus' stamp of approval. It's now holy because we're calling it a fellowship. So we just slap that word in front of it. We call it good. It's fellowship. What I knew growing up about fellowship was simply where it took place. Anybody know where the fellowship took place? In the fellowship hall, right? We're going to the fellowship hall. Nobody knows what the word fellowship means, but we're all going to the hall that we call the fellowship hall. That's where it took place. It's a hall where people gathered for the receptions. It's usually where we ate. It's, you know, wedding receptions and funerals and things like that. But the word fellowship comes from a word called koinonia. And koinonia basically translates to this idea that we have things in common. And as Christians, we all have one overarching thing in common, and that is Christ. Other words that are used in this are communion, contribution, sharing, and partnership. But fellowship is not a social gathering, it's a spiritual gathering. Where the goal is to bring Christ to the forefront. Luke's first major illustration of fellowship is that the believers were so in common to one another that they had such a bond with one another that if any of them had any need, that they would do what needed, what was needed to provide for the other. And so if we are in such tight community, if we're in such tight koinonia fellowship, which means that we're almost like family. And so when we see somebody that has a need, then we would all step up and do our part. So we are being true with fellowship. Provide for one another even if that meant selling possessions and using that money to provide for others. John Piper goes as far to say that true fellowship, as we see in verses 44 and 45, is the antidote for the suicide of materialism. The third thing they devoted themselves to is the breaking of bread. Common question to be asked is, who did you break bread? bread with this week? Who did you break bread with this week? Maybe language of today is, who did you have coffee with this week? Or who did you have lunch with? Who did you invite over for dinner? Who did you welcome into your home? And you don't have to spend a whole lot of time in Scripture to realize that meals are very, very important. They are. 
Meals are always mentioned throughout the Bible. Um, the kingdom of God is referred to as the great banquet feast. In verse 46 of Acts chapter 2, it says that they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and then shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This is what they loved to do. And it brought joy to them. And the way it reads makes it sound like this was a common practice, like that it almost happened on a daily basis. It also makes it very clear that partaking in food together was extremely precious to the believers in the early church. Now, one thing I find interesting is the farther west you go, the, the less these things happen in people's homes. <clears throat> and I'm just, I've just noticed that as doing ministry from the Midwest and Southeast all the way out to California. When you meet with people in California, it's like, hey, let's meet at this restaurant or we'll meet at this coffee shop. Um, but not very often was it in homes. And that was just our experience. But the farther east you go, the more hospitality pops up. The more you are invited into people's homes or their backyards. And you go to the southeast and they call you honey and deer, and they not only invite you to their house, but then they start adding you to their will. <laughs> they were devoted to meeting in homes, breaking bread together. And the fourth thing they were devoted to was prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. I heard one pastor say it like this, when they got in touch with each other, they got in touch with God. They prayed. And prayer is accomplished when we acknowledge how amazing God is and we thank him for who he is. When you simply spend time with him through praise, through his word, through sharing your greatest blessings from him and your biggest requests. And the more you communicate with God, the closer you will be to having a life of prayer. People are like, what, what in the world is a life of prayer? 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing, which means that we're going to live our lives in such a way that we're communicating with God at almost all times. The words that come out of our mouth, the attitude that we have, and we start living our life basically showing the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is this constant connection that we're going to have with God. In fact, God is going to be involved in most everything that we do. So we want to have a life of prayer. And I've had people, well, Pastor Jeff, I just don't like, you know, I don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to, to talk to Jesus. <clears throat> I'm like, well, tell him that. Say, God, not good at talking to you. Guess what? You just prayed your first prayer. That's all you need to do is just tell him what is on your heart, what is on your mind. And this passage in Acts 2 is one of the best examples of why we pray out loud. It's so that others can hear your request, so that your prayer can be answered through the church. 
people don't know the things that you need, if they don't know what your requests are, then it's hard for us to be an answer to your prayers. So we say these things. We say them to God. As we pray, we want to give honor to God, to give thanks to God, and ask Him the things that we need. And God hears them. And I want to encourage you guys, if this is all new to you, when God hears your prayer, don't lose hope or trust when it doesn't get answered exactly the way that you want it to be answered. Because he's either going to say yes, or he's going to say no, or he may even say not yet. You're a work in progress. But no matter how he answers it, you trust him. And you keep what? You keep praying. I never get tired of talking to my father. Now, my parents came out for a, a week, and I literally tried to spend as much time with my dad as I possibly could. Um, because I live here, and he lives in Cincinnati. Um, and they're the next generation. Um, all my grandparents have passed away, and so I cherish the conversations that I have with my father. And he may have gotten a little tired of it because he wants to see the grandkids, <laughs> but every single time, I mean, I, every time I went to go do something, I would ask my dad, Dad, do you want to go to the store with me? Dad, I'm going to go do this. you want to go? And he's like, I want to hang out with your wife and the kids. All right. But I love talking to my dad, and it brings us together, and I feel this connection with him, and the more we talk and we listen to one another, and he'll share things that still make an impact in my life, he'll still give me nuggets of wisdom with marriage or being a parent, and I love that. And I feel like God is saying the same thing to us. It's like, I just want to have a conversation. There's things that I want to tell you, and I want, to, want you to listen. And I want you to be able to share things with me, because I, I want to listen to those things too. And sometimes we even get mad at God. Like, we need to like, give him a piece of our mind. And I think sometimes he's okay with that. He's like, you're being honest, and we need that just to keep praying, to keep talking, to keep building on that relationship. And so a couple, just one thing that I want to point out to this, and then we're going to have communion together. But it's interesting that the apostles' teachings and prayer are very much reflective of how in tune we are with our relationship with God. So if I'm digging into Scripture and I'm praying and I'm spending this time doing those things, then it very much is reflective on how I'm doing my relationship with Him. The other two, the fellowship and the sharing of meals, reflect how in tune we are in sharing God with other people. And so we have this vertical connection, this vertical thing that's going on with the apostles teaching, digging into God's Word, having Him talk to us, and praying. And then the fellowship and the sharing of meals. And so as our devotion to God grows, our devotion to the things of this world will actually start to go down. 
because we're going to look at life through a lens with eternal perspective, with Christ in mind. And as our devotion to God grows, so can the devotion to these things that were so evident to the very first church where they loved God and they truly loved one another. And that is our prayer for this church, that we would grow more and more in love with God and we would grow more and more in love with not only each other, but the people outside the walls of this church that still need to be reached for him. Let's pray. Father God, it's amazing to be able to look at the very first church that you designed and through about 12 guys, ordinary guys, you started your church. And I pray that we continue going through the book of Acts, it'll be a reflective time, not so much what, what the pastor needs to do or what leadership needs to do, but what do we collectively as a church body need to do? What are the things that we can work on each week, each day? Being devoted to your word, being devoted to fellowship, sharing of meals, and as we're getting ready to partake of the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So be with us during this time as we have this amazing, intimate moment with you through this meal. We ask in your name. Amen. So we're going to open this up uh, for you guys. Um, Jesus, right before he went to the cross, met with his disciples in a room, and they had prepared the Passover feast. And at the feast, uh, there were several different goblets of wine, and there were actually four. One was pre-feast. I think there was two during and one after and they were essential for the Passover meal. And during the meal, Jesus kind of hit a pause button. And he said, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. And he took some bread and he broke it. And he handed it out to the guys and he says, you're going to eat this bread. And when, it, when you do, I want it to be relevant in your life. I want it to mean something. And so... I want you to take this, I want you to eat it. It's going to represent my body. It's going to be broken for you. And then he took some of that wine, I think in the third goblet, poured it out. And he said, I want you to drink this. It represents my body, my blood that will be poured out for you. And so they, drank, they ate and they drank. And then a few hours later, they would see communion come to life by watching their rabbi, their teacher, their friend sacrifice his life for them. And so as often as we meet, even you just heard this, they met daily, they did these things. Where they took the Lord's Supper together. And so uh, we invite you guys to partake tonight. It's just spending some time with Jesus, remembering the sacrifice that he made. And there's also a giving box if you want to worship God through giving. Um, 
you can do that if you're online with us. You can go to reviveloveland.org up slash give. But have this time with your Lord. Remember the sacrifice that he made. Now, this is on your timing. So families, if you want to partake together, couples or however it is, but have this time 